My guest today is Jeff Martins, who is the co-founder and CEO of Metris. Metris is an observability platform designed to commoditize application observability. This episode is hosted by Lee Atchison, and follow Lee at leeatchison.com. Jeff, welcome to the Software Engineering Daily. Hey, Lee, thanks for having me on. No problem. This is this is great. You know, so Metris, you know, it's an observability platform. And so I'm sure you get compared a lot to the data dogs of the world and the new relics of the world. And, you know, certainly you and I have talked about this in the past. And matter of fact, you were a guest on my podcast not that long ago, which is great. We had these same conversations, some of these same conversations. But when I think about Metris, what I think about is a platform for providing direct observability on the cloud platforms, applications, SaaS services, et cetera, that my company is using versus on my application itself. Can you, is that a, is that a fair characterization? That, yes, that's exactly what Metrist is. Um, my co-founder and I come from the observability and incident response space, and we know that there are a ton of tools out there to monitor your own software, your first party and your second soft, second party software, the things that you build inside your organization. But what we found was that developers were increasingly turning to third-party cloud products, you know, anywhere from the things uh, that you can get from AWS to Stripe, Twilio, GitHub, even Slack. Uh, and the realization we had was that these are more and more important to your software's uh, functionality and reliability, yet uh, it was very hard to directly monitor those things. And so that's why Metrist exists. Yeah, yeah. I, I know uh, a lot of people do things like, um, you know, they'll do the black box end-to-end functional type of testing with their third-party requirements, you know, like the pingdom sort of approach to is that service working, yes or no? And and that can be useful and helpful to you, but it really doesn't give you the details of what you really need there. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's an absolutely great place to start. And that kind of approach can tell you something. Uh, what we think makes Metris special though, is that we do what we call functional testing. So we go beyond seeing if an endpoint is alive and responsive, and we are looking to see that the product behind that endpoint does what it promises it can do. So if it's supposed to go create an asset, it's not just, can I talk to the endpoint for creating assets, but can I get a verification that that asset actually was created? And then is that asset showing up? Can I read it? Can I download it? Can I do whatever I need to do with it? And then a third step might be, you know, can I delete that asset or can I archive it? Um, and so we go beyond that, you know, is it alive? And we go into, um, you know, is it doing what it says it can do? Uh, which is very much like synthetic testing. Uh, I think the other thing though is, is that when we look at the typical software application, uh, we find that on average, there's going to be about 50 different hard dependencies uh, on a piece of SaaS software. And um, what we find is a lot of organizations start investing in doing this testing on their own, and they test the most important one, and then the second most important one, and then the third most important one. And then they go, oh my gosh, we have 47 more to go. Uh, this is a lot of work. And now we're getting into the business of being testers and not building our software. And that's where Metris comes in. And out of the box, uh, we can uh, get you up and running and monitoring 
uh, the 70 different products that we support today, uh, which is a growing list that we keep adding to every month. So these are, these are products that are commonly used by companies, things like, like AWS, things like, uh, uh, I mean, you, you, you could, you could list a few of them, I'm sure, but, uh, but these are services that are commonly used by most companies and you test them regularly so you can give that data to your customers. Correct. And, and we actually test them from the point of view of our customers. So the way Metrist works is you download a very small uh, piece of software that orchestrates the tests. Uh, you securely pass in your credentials to that software in your own environment. And then you are testing against your own accounts. Ah, so good. you might take like a user uh, authentication product, for example. Um, uh, you're testing your instance of that uh, product and not just the general one. And the idea is to help you understand, like, you know, is it working for me? And how does my experience compare to everyone else's experience? Yeah, I, I, I think back to the, uh, the, I'm not sure if they still, I, I haven't seen this recently, I, uh, honestly, I, I must say, but, uh, but it used to be that AWS on their status pages would say, um, reduced available, re, uh, reduced um, support in some availability zones, and, and they wouldn't go into the details of which availability zones because, frankly, availability zone mapping is customer specific, so they didn't know what your availability zone was. So all they could do is give this generic. Some of you are going to be impacted by this. Some of you aren't. Yeah. If you have a problem, you're probably impacted, but that's not really very reassuring. Now. It, what you give is a much more accurate view of saying your customers in this area using this part of this service are currently having a problem. That's exactly it. Cause that's the only thing that matters at the end of the day is, you know, am I, am I impacted or not? Uh, you know, the worst thing that can happen is that, you know, someone can send you a link to a status page that says things are on fire and you jump into an incident response only to find out that everything is fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, sure, you know, it's probably better than not jumping into an incident response. Uh, but what if you could have factual data that's real time that can tell you, you know, if you're being impacted or not? Um, you know, maybe that means you don't have to spin up an unnecessary incident response, but it also probably means that you could spin up an incident response about a half hour faster than if you did wait on that status page. And when you get the alert, you know for a fact it's impacting you and not just maybe impacting you because they said some customers uh, were impacted. And I imagine, and, and this might get harder um, and, and may depend on the specific vendors, but you could probably give a lot of earlier impact of the actual effect of the problem too. So yes, status pages, which tend to be laggards, um, uh, which is a whole other discussion we can get into, um, won't give you timely updates and of of a potential problem, but um, if a, if a service is starting to act slow, that may not affect you right away, but it might affect you in ten or fifteen minutes as your buffers start filling and other problems start occurring. So you could actually give early notification of a potential problem even before a real problem occurs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, there's a couple of things there. I think the first thing is like, that's why we do functional testing, because we're looking to see that the underlying functionality works or doesn't work. Uh, so, you know, if it's slow, that may be interesting, but it may not impact you. Uh, if there's, you know, occasional errors, that's interesting, but it may not impact you. Uh, if a, one part of the product's down, 
that's interesting, but if it's not the part you use, then it doesn't matter. So I think that's a lot of the reason, you know, we focused on this idea of functional testing. But I also think there's something else. We've had customers tell us that we've identified issues uh, long before their um, their metrics uh, have told them. And that's because we are continuously monitoring these services. So we're not reliant on your app uh, doing what it's supposed to do. So we sit outside of your app and we continuously test these services at whatever interval you've configured. So if you want to test it every minute, you could test it every minute. And what we know is a lot of uh, metric platforms and alerting systems, uh, they will not alert you until the error has been going on for at least five minutes. Uh, but with Metrist, you don't have to wait for that time. There's no, um, there's no thresholds that are going to be opaque and kind of hard to understand. We do have thresholds in the product, but they're very uh, cut and dry. And so once that threshold is crossed, we can tell you immediately and you don't have to wait for a spike in traffic to your app or somebody trying to do something that no user has done in the last five minutes. Uh, so we can be very proactive. And we had that uh, once there was uh, not long ago, a re major outage with a, um, a video API. Uh, and we were able to tell our users about it um, in one case, eight minutes before they got their first alert from their metrics platform. Wow. And now that's not always going to happen. I'm not saying that's the norm, uh, but we know that it is just one of the many ways we can help developers get a better view of the real-time status of all the things that make up their product, not just their internal services. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I, I can easily see that happening. I, again, the closer you are to the source of the dependency, the the better you can predict when that dependency is going to cause problems. And so by actively doing on AWS what your customers are, are using AWS for, you can tell very quickly when they're going to have a problem with what it is they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. yeah you know, that makes me think of something we're really excited about and we're experimenting with. And that is like, how can we crowdsource this data together uh, to not only provide the most um, real-time and detailed view of service health and who it's impacting and who it's not, uh, but we we believe that there is a day in the future that we can start providing early warnings uh, where we can say, look, based on the data we have and all the times we've seen outages with this service, you know, we have, you know, let's call it a 60% confidence uh, level that you're about to be hit by an outage in the next five minutes. Um, I, we, we think that's absolutely doable. I'll be, I'll be honest and say we're not there yet, uh, yeah. but we're experimenting with this data and it's really interesting the patterns that we can see that lead up to, you know, partial or major outages. Yeah, you see some of that with the, the functional testing occurring, but you're talking about more than just, you know, the, the, the functional testing. You know, with the functional testing, you get these, are, you know, are you up sorts of crowdsource data, which is not very accurate at all. But here you're talking about real measured data from various customers' point of views, and then you can start seeing when a problem starts to occur and and give guidance as to when it might affect other customers. Absolutely. And, and even just looking at a single customer's uh, view of a service, we tend to see latency spikes, you know, five or 10 minutes before services uh, oh, yeah, become unavailable. Yeah. We also see, um, you know, for services that might be more uh, global rather than divided by availability zones, uh, we often see 
you know, customers in one part of the United States impacted before customers in another part of the United States. Um, so these things tend to kind of, you know, roll out. Uh, also interesting is watching different products uh, go degraded and down, um, you know, in patterns. So, you know, when a popular compute platform goes down, you know, we can usually tell you what other services are about to start throwing errors. Yeah. Um, and even within a cloud platform, we had one of the major ones recently where they had uh, three different products that uh, went down in one availability uh, region. And, you know, we were able to watch as the dependent services degraded as kind of things went down this chain of dependencies. Yeah, I I can tell you, having worked at AWS in, in particular, I, I, I know you didn't say it was AWS and it may, may or may not have been, but... Uh, but when I worked at AWS, we would often see that. I worked on Elastic Beanstalk, which uh, historically um, uh, depended heavily on lots of other services like EC2, et cetera. So when EC2 was down, we were down. When, you know, when, uh, um, you know, when uh, 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 um, you know, various services that we were taking advantage of would be, well, you know, SQS was a common one. If SQS went down, we went down. And so you can see the visibility in that in the, the um, the the status pages, but also you know the real operating of the systems. And so I, I imagine that would be quite useful to be able to collect, analyze, and um, do trend analysis on that data to be able to know when your customers are you know you know this customer is using this service, and so when these other things start happening, they're going to start having problems or potentially yep. going to have a problem. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like we, we know it's valuable there, but here's what's maybe all, you know also interesting. Um, so what we just talked about is for incident response, uh, but think about the kind of things that we can help our customers know. Um, you know, f for example, earlier I gave that example. Uh, in this case, it actually was not AWS. Like uh, it was a different cloud provider, but uh, I can actually show you with data that AWS is a wildly reliable service. And in it fact, is. as yes. far as I'm, I'm not trying to um, endorse anybody. But when I look at the other cloud platforms, I can tell you uh, AWS is uh, highly reliable and you should have a lot of confidence uh, running on it. Uh, but having that kind of data can help you make better decisions when you come across somebody that maybe isn't as reliable. Yeah. Um, so you know, one of the things that we always recommend that our customers do is really try to understand where the risks are in their stack. So if you're uh, relying on 50 different uh, cloud services to power your product, where is the greatest risk? And, you know, where do you have a vendor that maybe isn't meeting your reliability needs? Yeah. You know, how can you use data to build that relationship, to push them to add another nine? Or if you have to, find a different vendor that can provide the same functionality, but do it in a way that, you know, better matches your uh, reliability needs. Yeah. To be clear, I wasn't picking on AWS either. So <laughs> I just very familiar with them because I happened to work there for a number of years. And so I, sure. I know the issues that they go through and, and can deal with. But but you know, you you bring up some interesting comments there and and you know, let's talk a little bit about the natural extension of that is into SLA management, right? So uh vendors often will give in contractual SLA agreements across, especially B2B sorts of relationships, right? Yeah. You, when, if you're using a SaaS service, they'll provide you in their contract a, a SLA of how, what their availability will be. 
but that availability is almost always measured by the vendor. It's never measured by the consumer, yet the consumer is the one that's, in fact, you know, in, impacted the most by that, the consumer meaning the other business. So um, I know you've got some thoughts on this because you just wrote about it recently in an article on the Newstack, which just came out today, I think. Is that correct? It's morning yep. or? Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, hopefully we can get a link to this in the show notes, but it's called uh, Cloud Dependencies Need to Stop Effing Us When They Go Down. <laughs> and this is all about that SLA issue. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, that that's part of it. You know, one of the things that I realized when we started building Metrist uh, was that cloud vendors tend to control the entire lifecycle of the SLA. Uh, they decide what's going to be covered by the SLA. They decide what the thresholds are to uh, trigger an SLA violation. They decide how it is measured. Uh, but then they put the responsibility on the customer to uh, discover if there was ever a violation and then provide all of the data needed in order to get that SLA credit. And to me, when I think about how important these services are for the software we build, uh, it just seems crazy to me that the vendor has 100% control over this. And the reason I say it that way is it's not to say that the vendor shouldn't have some control, right? Like I, I do believe that they have a lot to bring to the table when it comes to, well, what is the, you know, a reasonable expectation of this service? And, you know, yeah, maybe we shouldn't measure everything. Maybe there is a core set of features that should be covered under the SLA. Uh, but the customer has no power now. And I really believe that both the customer and vendor should come at this collaboratively. And I think collaboration can happen through relationships. But when it comes to SLAs, where one SLA typically has to cover 10,000 customers, I think that's when data becomes the unifying uh, asset for SLAs. And I believe that both uh, cloud vendors and their customers should have the same data uh, about a service's reliability. And I don't think we should be looking at it as somebody has to catch the other one in a violation. Um, I think the data should be proactive. It should be shared. And ideally, it, it could even be, um, you know, arbitrated by a third party that says, look, we're not going to trust the customer or the vendor because that's the fox guard in the hen house. Let's use a third party to uh, be the arbiter of truth. And we'll both agree to look to this third party data source uh, to know if there was a violation or not. And Metris could easily play that role. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So, um, well, you and I caught up recently at reInvent, if I, if I remember correctly. We, we were both there. That's where we touched bases. So, uh, I, you know, I, it's been two years since I'd been to reInvent. It's the first time back since after the pandemic. What was your thoughts about reInvent this year? Yeah, well, uh, the first thing I noticed was that it was bigger than it ever has been. Um, yeah. You know, I think part of that is just the continued, um, you know, growth of AWS. Another part of it was, uh, you know, people dying to get back to uh, industry events after being away from them for a couple of years. Uh, so that was that was interesting for me. And I think the size has some pros and cons. Um, the other thing for me, though, was I, I noticed what felt like the first time that there wasn't a lot of blockbuster announcements. Yeah. That was the thing uh, I noticed the most. 
Yeah, it, it started to feel more normal. And, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad or bad thing or a good thing, but I think we've come to expect uh, AWS really pushing the envelope and surprising us sometimes with some things. And I just didn't see much of that this year. And it's not to say anything about, you know, AWS, but I think their business is maturing. I think our industry is maturing and that's probably changing, you know, the way that we, you know, build products, launch products and talk about products. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair way to put it. Yeah, I, I agree. I didn't see the blockbuster event. It was almost a, a ho-hum from an announcement standpoint, when usually that's what you're really going there for, is to hear the new announcements and everything. But, um, but yeah, I, I do agree there's a, a maturation process that's going on in our industry. And I think, the, you know, the, the fact that we're talking about tools like Metris, where we're talking about a level deep in availability that we didn't talk about at all, just a couple of years ago, I think is is evidence of that. We're we're no longer talking about keeping your service up. We're talking about what it takes to keep your dependencies operating so that you can keep your service going. That's a level deeper than 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 what we were before. That's part of the maturation process. There's other parts to that as well. But um, is is that a, a way you see Metris as part of the industry growing and maturing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, when I think about AWS reInvent, in the past, I might have thought about it as an AWS conference, but it's really an industry conference now. Uh, you know, one of the best reasons to go is for all of the other, um, you know, cloud companies that are exhibiting there, that are partnering with AWS, and that are, you know, critical in, in making up this ecosystem we work in. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to Metris, you know, now... Metris matters today because the way we've developed, we develop software has shifted. Uh, I think Twilio really started this shift a long time ago, I think 2010 or so uh, when it was founded, maybe before that. And that's when we first kind of coined the term, and not we, I mean the industry, somebody else coined the term, the API economy. And that was really exciting. But then for a number of years, there was only a few things where we said, look, I'm going to turn to Twilio for this because telecom's really hard. Um, but then when Stripe started really taking off, it was like, okay, that's really hard. But also like, wow, look at all the additional things I can do when I can just plug into a Stripe. And now you look at things like even feature flags are ad done as a service. And so, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, we found that a typical product will rely on about 50 uh, third-party apps. Uh, we know from the SaaS management platform vendor that the average company relies on 130 different uh, cloud API and SaaS products. So I really see this explosion in, um, you know, how we build and how we operate and more and more parties are now involved in this. And when you look at your application and its dependencies, um, it's no longer good enough to say, well, we rely on a bunch of things that are all have four nines, so we're good. Because the, the, the math is actually pretty simple. For every product you add as a dependency that has four nines of availability, you need to subtract 0.01% from the highest level of availability you can offer. 
right. and now think about an average of 50 products and each of them takes away 0.01 from your reliability. Five nines becomes four nines becomes three nines when you're not, exactly. you're not careful. Yeah. Exactly. And so um, that opens up a whole new need for us. Uh, we need to understand where our dependencies are. We need to understand how reliable they are. We need to start monitoring them. We need to start building for fault tolerance. We need to have, you know, failover plans. We need to build relationships with an engineering team that's not even part of our company because they are with a third-party vendor uh, that we've relied on. We need to change our runbooks. We have to think about, well, what does this mean from an instant response standpoint? Where do I go to get this information? Um, you know, do do my metrics, logs, and traces tell me enough, um, or do I need to supplement that with something else? And so, um, you know, this to go back to your original question. I mean, this is very much about the um, maturation of our industry, um, and I think it's a great thing. I think uh, uh, apps are delighting me more and more every day, whether those are apps I use at work or apps that I use um, in my personal time. And one of the reasons they're delighting me is that it's so much easier for developers to deliver these knockout features because they don't have to become an expert in every single one of these things. Uh, they can simply use the API or integration from an expert. And now, um, you know, me as a user, I get the benefit of it. Um, but, you know, the reason I'm here today is that I think we also need to recognize the flip side of that. And that is for every benefit we get by integrating with one of these third parties, uh, it also comes with a different level of responsibility and a different approach to reliability and incident response. That's great. That's, uh, yeah, I, I love that approach. I love that thought process. And it really is a, a, um, it really is a maturation process that we're going through. And it really is, you know, um, a new way or a different way, a more, more, sure way of dealing with fault tolerance and things like that. The things that the other people in related industries have had to deal with for a long time, we're now having to deal with in the cloud industry as well. So that's great. So, um, yeah, so I'm not sure if you wanted to, to, uh, throw in your, your story about your co-founder. Um, uh, sure. About how, about how my co-founder and I got started and what our backgrounds yeah. are. Exactly. And, yeah, and you, yeah. you and I met um, back when I was, when we were at New Relic together. Yep. You want to, want to take it from there? It's a, it's a yeah, great story. Yeah. So we'll let you, yeah, let you tell I had that. A number, I had a number of really great years at New Relic, um, you know, when, when we were both there together, you know, when the company was just a couple hundred employees and we were, we were on our way to do big things. And after that, I had an opportunity to go to PagerDuty when it was still, you know, just a couple hundred employees and really growing and at, uh, at an incredible rate, you know, before becoming a public company uh, like it is today. And while I was there, I met a brilliant engineer uh, named Ryan Duffield. Uh, Ryan was one of the first um, employees at PagerDuty. Uh, he was the first engineer hired in the Toronto uh, development office. And, uh, you know, he was there to build, um, uh, you know, most of the features that uh, we rely on today from PagerDuty, yeah. um, along with a number of other just absolutely fantastic engineers and a great founding team at that company that built uh, a product that we all rely on today. But Ryan and I both had uh, similar but separate experiences that brought us to starting uh, Metrist. 
uh, one of the things Ryan uh, had to do as part of his job there was to build a system that tested pager duty from the outside in. And for them, one of the main reasons this mattered was, um, you know, alerting can uh, rely on so many third parties, uh, specifically telecom providers. So one of the, you know, PagerDuty is a highly reliable service. And one of the reasons is that they have multiple layers of uh, telecom providers to make sure they can always send out an alert, whether it's a text message or a phone call or something else. And so Ryan built a system that continuously tested PagerDuty from the outside in uh, end to end, uh, looking at the ability for PagerDuty to ingest an event, to create an incident, to send an alert, uh, to close an incident, uh, to notify uh, users. And so he had an experience building this. And what he realized is that it's a really difficult thing to do when you have to start becoming an expert in how all of these uh, different services work. So that was his experience with this idea of, you know, outside in, uh, vendor monitoring. Uh, for me, I was on the product management side at PagerDuty, and uh, I got an opportunity to talk with a lot of customers that, you know, world-class software organizations. And one of the questions I would always ask is, like, how are your monitoring tools doing for you? Uh, and I was able to ask this question because PagerDuty is not a monitoring tool itself. It's a, uh, it's kind of the Switzerland of observability, as we like to say. And so I was put in a good position and I had people saying to me over and over again, uh, you know what, Jeff, like increasingly we're starting to find that our incidents come from third parties and none of my observability tools uh, are giving me yeah. the insight I need. And what we found is that people were using spreadsheets and confluence pages to try to keep track of the impact third parties had uh, on their own uh, reliability and, and ability to hit their SLAs. And so you know, while working together, Ryan and I shared these stories and kind of realized, oh my gosh, we both care about this idea and it comes from two different points of view. And with our experience in, um, in observability and incident response, we should probably go do something about it. And uh, that's what brings us here today. That's cool. Yeah, I've, I always love that story. Uh, I remember meeting Ryan, she's a, I don't remember what year it was. It was back when I was at New Relic and, and he was at PagerDuty, one of the early PagerDuty you know, here's the development team for PagerDuty. You know, they're yep. standing right in front of you. That's all there was, you know, back in the very early days. I remember that. And I I was always impressed with their focus on on availability. And and even, you know, that was back at a time when availability wasn't my focus yet. You know, it kind of grew into me, into me based on my, you know, the previous experience at Amazon, but my current experiences that I was getting right then at New Relic. And so... Um, I, I, but I always thought back to to them and what they were doing, and was always impressed with uh, what they were doing in availability standpoints. Thanks for sharing that story. I, I think PGD really walks the talk in this uh, in this way, and um, I, I always remember something that PagerDuty's now CTO uh, Tim Armanpour said, and that was that uh, at PagerDuty they would never blame a third party um, if they had an outage, if it if it was caused by somebody else, Tim said, no, it's still our responsibility. Because like, yes, a third party them. impacted us, <laughs> but exactly, we will, yeah. he said, we will never update our status page and blame it on anyone else. We will take responsibility. And I just have so much respect for that, mostly because it is so unique. Um, after starting Metrist, I went and looked at status pages. And um, I can tell you for one of PagerDuty's competitors, 
30% of the outages on their status page explicitly blamed a third party. They didn't take responsibility for it themselves. They said it was the third party's fault. Now, for me as an entrepreneur in cloud uh, dependency monitoring, that was a great thing for me to see because I could. it was validation that, yep, third parties have a major impact. But comparing it to the way PagerDuty approaches, um, you know, how they build trust with their customers, uh, it was, it showed me that there was a much better way to do it. And, um, you know, we need to start taking responsibility of this ourselves. And that starts with getting visibility into how these third parties impact us. Now that, I, I learned that mindset very clearly when I was at Amazon as well, too. Amazon... In, internally, I, I guess I don't know if, if that made it under the status pages or not. I have to think about it a little bit. But at least internally, you never, ever, ever could blame another team, another third party, anyone for any problem. It was always your problem because you're the one that selected that vendor or you're the one yep. that selected that team to work with. And if that has a problem, that meant you are responsible for it. And and that was just so ingrained in the culture. It was it was great, and and I know that's that's part of PagerDuty's philosophy as well too. And I, that's that is central to building high availability systems. It just yeah, absolutely is. So, well, I think with AWS, you know, we it shows in what they are today. Now, I yeah. may have some issues with how they update their status page, but I can tell you, they have a highly reliable service. And yes. so I imagine that that customer first, you know, take ownership and responsibility mindset, it has led to building wildly reliable products. So it takes an investment, but it pays off. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, you know, my guest today was Jeff Martins, who is the co-founder and CEO of Metrista, which is a third-party data aggregation availability platform. Jeff, thank you so much for being with me today on Software Engineering Daily. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.